0: Hello everyone, welcome to Women in Retail Talks, the podcast where C-Suite executive women in the retail space share their stories of professional growth, leadership development, personal journeys, and more. I'm Melissa Campanelli, the co-founder of the Women in Retail Leadership Circle, which is a membership-based community of executive women at leading retailers and brands. And joining me today is an old friend, Jeannie Walden, the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid and Thrifty Ice Cream. Today, we're going to talk about her career journey, her unique approach to marketing, her thoughts on work-life integration, and so much more. So with that, how are you, Jeannie? Good to talk to you again.
1: I'm doing wonderful, Melissa, and it's so great to speak with you again. It's been a while. It's been a while, but it's so great. To, I'm a big fan of the podcast and everything that you're doing in the retail industry for women and women executives. So I'm thrilled to be your guest today.
0: Perfect. Great. Well, I'm just going to jump right in. Um, As I mentioned in the opener, so you have a new role. You're the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid and Thrifty Ice Cream. But first, let's talk about the Rite Aid role. What do you, what what do you sort of oversee in that position? And when did you, when did you take on this role?
1: Well, you know, it was was such a great opportunity for me. Uh, In March of this year, I was given the opportunity to come in in an interim Role mm. and to oversee everything that's happening in the Rite Aid enterprise. So that's the consumer business, which is Rite Aid, and and the pharmacy and retail businesses that you know the marketing for that element of what we do, the Elixir business, which is the kind of B2B to E PBM business that we Mm. have, the ice cream business with Thrifty, which I know we're going to talk about, which is a purchase that we made a number of years ago at Rite Aid and who doesn't love ice cream, and really just to pull it all together and create a very strong uh, brand strategy for what's happening to and with the Rite Aid enterprise. That interim role became such a great opportunity and so exciting for me and for the team at Reddit that they offered me a full time position in early August of this year.
0: So it's new,
1: but not new new. It's still English, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've been there for a while and just sort of learning the business and figuring out the ways that you can integrate it and and um, you know, yes. transform. Yes. Um, And so tell us about Thrifty. I mean, I'm so fascinated by it. What's the connection between the the two?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's an amazing story. Uh, Rite Aid, first and foremost, is a company that just matches my passions so well. They're really a community-based pharmacy and a community-based retail pharmacy on top of it. They're a company that, is really you know, just so intent on creating this mission of achieving whole health for life on every aspect of a person's life. So whether you want to be healthier from a nutrition or a vitamin perspective, whether you're not feeling well and you need to go to the pharmacy or whether health and happiness means to you what it means to so many of us from an expanded definition of whole health for life, and that just means less stress and, and family work-life balance and happiness. And what does that better than ice cream? So, you know, having thrifty ice cream as a part of the offering that that Rite Aid provides to people, um, you know, really means a lot in closing that circle on how we help people achieve whole health for life because it means both physically and mentally. And Rite Aid had purchased Thrifty Pharmacy a while ago. And along with it came thrifty ice cream that people in California have known since they were younger because thrifty pharmacies started out a very long time ago in the same way that every pharmacy did 60, 70, 80 years ago with, you know, a little counter where you could come in and see the pharmacist, but you could also get a soda or a float, or you could get ice cream, especially hand dipped. And, and, Rite Aid has been able to preserve that authenticity of the ice cream experience in California for so many people. It's become this like cult, Classic. So if you grew up in California, you know Thrifty, you know Thrifty Ice Cream, you're obsessed with it. And having it be a part of Rite Aid is just very natural. Um, If you grew up on the East Coast like I did, Thrifty Ice Cream is absolutely sold inside Rite Aid stores, but you don't necessarily have the same appreciation. So there was a tremendous brand opportunity to come in and take the brand of Thrifty and not only make it a national obsession like it is in California, California, but then also to look at the opportunity to expand its distribution outside the walls of Rite Aid and into other retailers, into other locations, whether it's you know home healthcare companies or restaurants or stadiums, to really enable everybody to get some of that happiness that you have when when you're enjoying ice cream with friends or family, whether you're having a bad day and ice cream makes you feel better. Without it just being restricted to the four walls of Thrifty, so it's a big mission that expands beyond just being the CMO of Rite Aid. And that's why I've got the two titles
0: that is so super interesting. I love that. i, I It is reminding me of sort of, um, you know, the old timey, you know, soda shop. um and it does it does make a lot of sense now the way you explain it. And then the opportunity is great um because, again, as you said, I'm on the East Coast, too, and i'm I'm almost positive I've seen the ice cream. but, I'm sure there's more opportunity for growth, you know, especially on the East Coast. So that's so fun. Yeah.
1: yeah, And it's, it's crazy because, you know, the company, the LA-based drugstore that we acquired was called Thrifty Drug Stores. So they had right. ice cream. and called it thrifty ice cream. You know, but people ask me all the time, is it called thrifty because it's low cost? Is it called thrifty? Because, you know, like, why did you call it thrifty as if somebody created the brand for it most recently, but it's been thrifty forever. And <laughs> right. I have to tell you, if anybody listening is in California, you know, look me up on LinkedIn and I'll get you a, an invite to the plant because it's probably some of the highest quality ice cream ingredients and, Processing that I've ever seen in my life, which I didn't know how much I didn't know about the way ice cream was made until recently, and it's just like
0: fascinating. Wow, where is where is it in California? On the up in north or south?
1: It's it's about it's about a half an hour from L.A. So okay, cool. it's it's in a perfect area to need ice cream year round.
0: Yeah, <laughs> great. Well, so interesting. I'm so so glad I got that background. Um, I didn't want to just kind of throw past the thrifty thing. I thought it was so cool when I saw your bio. Um, so let's talk about you as a marketer. As I said, I've known you for a few for a few years and I know that you're a star marketer. And um, one of the things that you have is a, I think, uniquely hybrid approach to marketing where you respect traditional methods, but you also combine them with cutting edge digital methods to deliver results. So um, can you give us some examples of how, you might use the strategy in your new role or maybe anything you've done since joining, you know, even when you were in the interim role.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, um, you know, as you alluded to early on, I've been, I've been marketing and in marketing and business roles for over 30 years so it's been a long time and i'm always fascinated by the fact that successful marketing comes back to the early basics that people started back in the david ogilvy days where you know i used to work so i'm a big david ogilvy fan and you know there's just some of those really foundational aspects of how you position your product what problem are you solving for Those never change. They remain consistent. That said, there's such new technology and innovations around the way that you connect with people. There's always opportunity to look at things and do things differently, and that's the part that I love about you know any job that I have. The best is seeing what can we do that's outside of the box that people haven't thought of before. And you know, since I've been at Right Aid, you know, especially with Thrifty Ice Cream, I can give you a great example is, um, you know, with Thrifty, we've been marketing it just like you would with a traditional product that's inside your stores, and that's fantastic. But when I realized that it was a nostalgia brand and also a cult classic, I started to look at other cult classics that have nothing to do with retail, nothing to do with pharmacy, nothing to do with ice cream, nothing to do with food. But think about the products that you fell in love with, you know, over and over again, or think about the the items that you, that you're a big brand fan of that are cult classics, that you only know about it if you know about it. And so I really challenged the team to look at how do we do marketing by unmarketing like yes anybody can give me a plan for a big social campaign and some installation but what can we do that's unique and different but kind of turns things on the side and makes a huge impact so You know, we have a partnership with an event stadium and there was a really popular concert that was coming and we said to ourselves, what a great time to test new and innovative ways to market Thrifty, then to make it available before the concert as people are parking their car and getting ready for the concert to start, because we noticed that a lot of the younger generation is doing that. They get there early, they want to, you know, have a couple of drinks or a bar. Barbecue or something with friends. Why not be one of those, you know, creative places that is outside of the venue instead of being the traditional inside the retail venue kind of product? And and we learned so much by doing that. You know, first and foremost, we got the most incredible customer testimonials and prospect insights that you could ever imagine. Secondly, we learned a lot about people's preference and and you know. We probably made as many wrong decisions <laughs> at this event as we made the right decisions, but so critical for us to learn what to do better in the future. You know, we we made our prices really low for a pint of ice cream, and, and we learned really quickly that people weren't willing to even spend $2 for a pint of ice cream, not because they didn't love the ice cream and they they weren't interested in it and it didn't look like a good deal, but because they thought, wow, wow that's too much food for me to eat by myself and they didn't mm. want to waste it. So, mm. you know, we so there's there's interesting things like that, but you go all the way to the other side to the technology of AI and chat GPT and, and the ways that we're leveraging that inside the traditional Rite Aid business. And you can start to see just a whole slew of new initiatives that we're starting to put into practice, whether it's leveraging some, you know, AI generated imagery so that we can more cost-effective Actively create products and signage that go in our stores, to being able to dynamically create our digital circular in, in ways that nobody else is thinking about doing it, and all of those add up over time. So I just think you know, there's always ways to look at things differently and, and get better results.
0: I love that. I love that sort of what did they used to call that, like guerrilla marketing or something, where you're kind of going exactly. out to to the to the people, and that's the best place to get do sort of focus group research, I guess you could say, right? Because it's like where well, you really you can really see them in action and then you can make uh decisions based on that. So that's really cool. And then of course the digital stuff is great as well. Um I wanted to jump in a little bit to leadership because you've been such a you've been a leader, um, such a great leader over the years. And you know, you've had decades of experience working you know, everything from Fortune 500 companies to startups to your, you know, retail, health and wellness, advertising, as you said, fintech. I mean, given this experience, what are like, could you share maybe top three leadership lessons? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's more, but just what jumps to mind?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I th- I think it comes down to, um you know, when you're in a leadership role, the first thing that you need to do is establish a sense of trust with the team that you're leading. Because in a leadership role, as everybody who's been a leader knows, it's not always good news. You're encouraging people to think differently. In some cases, you're solving complex problems. And yes, you're smart. You became a leader because you're smart. But being a leader isn't about you being smart. It's about how you can lead the team forward. So establish that level of of respect with the people that you work with to get that sense of trust is 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 key the second thing is transparency and you know people ask me all the time um you know give me a great leadership story and and i always always start to laugh because it's it was my very first job uh leading a team by myself i was a manager at jc for the call center teams and that was really easily done and and I did a great job there. And that was fine. But they made me the leader of the collection department at JCPenney. I was 23 years old. Everybody that worked on my team had been working at JCPenney for over 30 years. So they had been working longer than I'd been alive. And the team was performing horribly. And this team's job was to go after people who had not paid their JCPenney credit card bill in over six months and you know i mean when you're having financial troubles the first thing that you look to pay for is your food your house and your family your JCPenney credit card bill is probably nowhere near the top of your list and if it's been six months you have very little intention to most likely pay it. Um, and this was before the internet, if you can believe there was a time before the internet. And here I was given the task of turning the team's performance around and and really I had no idea what to do. So I said that I said, um, Hey, I'm new. I'm really willing to learn, but you're all the experts. I don't know what the right way to do this is let me hear what you have to say. And I was surprised and I'm more surprised now, even when I think about it, than I probably had no idea what I was doing back then is by opening up that two-way conversation and hearing what people in those roles had to say, I learned so much about how we could improve it. So my second leadership lesson is transparency, but my third and last one is listening to the people that you work with. You know, you're you are not the person that knows how to solve everything and y- y- people that are working at businesses that you're leading and teams that you're leading, they're the experts. And they have, as you said earlier, they're like the grassroots experts that have their ear to the ground every day. They're in front of customers, especially in retail and, you know, truly listening to what they have to say and then turning that into actionable items for the business is oftentimes the most compelling way to drive results. Um, And it builds goodwill across the entire business but it also you know is something a lot of leaders sometimes forget to do
0: that was such a great uh, story Jeannie I love the color of that you know sort of explaining what that must have been like for you and how you just sort of you know were honest and transparent and that's what really worked sounds like um and along those same lines um how are you motivating your staff today and keeping them excited to to come to work for you um Everybody knows in the re, in the retail industry right now it's kind of hard to. There's a lot of ups and downs with hiring. Um, so what are what are some of the ways that you get people excited?
1: Oh gosh, um, I I wish I wish I knew the perfect answer to give you because I was just on calls this morning talking to one of my team members asking the same question. How can I keep people more motivated? Um, <laughs> you know, I really what I do these days is I I really like to give everybody the full picture of what the potential is for the business so that they can get excited and feel some sense of ownership for that and be a part of it and have all the context. Because a lot of times i found, and I've also felt like, if someone's asking me to do something, but I don't know why I'm doing it, like what it's going to lead to for the betterment of the business, then oftentimes the actions I take will be different than if I have the full context on, oh, the ultimate goal is to get to here. That's why you're asking me to do this right now. And I've also found that sometimes when you give people the context, it changes the actions that they will take versus you giving them a task. And uh, recently I had a conversation with a consultant that's working with us at Rite Aid and they made the comment that you can only be successful if you plan for the outcome and not the activity. And I thought that was brilliant. And I told him I was going to steal it and use it everywhere because it really does set the tone to motivate people. You want to express to them the outcome that you're trying to accomplish and then allow them the ability to showcase their individual expertise to help define the right actions to get there. And that goes back to what we were just talking about. If I tell people to go pull a report or run a campaign, it might not be the right answer because I'm not the expert in that area anymore. But if they have the context on, I want you to do this, we're trying to get here, then they can come back and be part of the conversation and part of the solution, which so many times is much more powerful and impactful and motivating than if you're just, given a task of items to do.
0: I love that so much. Could, actually, could you say that again? Can you just repeat that so I can just think about it one more time?
1: Success comes planning for the outcomes and not the activities.
0: I love that so much. It's so true. Oh, it's right? sort of, you should like, steal it too. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like, it's not, it's not, Um, you know, get this report. Like you said, it's, we have to solve this problem. How would you suggest we do it? You know? And then they could say, well, we could get the report or something. So I love that so much. It's it's, imp- it's empowering people, it sounds to me like, is a exactly. way to think about it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, to the earlier question that you asked me, that's where there's this unique mix between motivation uh, and leadership because it stems from empowerment, but so many times you empower people and they haven't been empowered before they don't know what to do so you also have to kind of lead them down the road of how to unleash the empowerment for themselves yes and and that over time continues to build more
0: success yep i love that so much um Another thing I know about you, and and I've read up recently about you, is that you're a frequent speaker on the topic of work life integration. And I love that, by the way, work life integration. Um, tell us what you mean by that, and what are some tips, or how do you how do you handle the busyness that goes on in your life? I'm sure between yeah, work. Yeah, sure.
1: So, <laughs> so I think you know, it was, it was early on in the beginning of COVID when I was at my former job and we were trying to figure out what the heck are we going to do now it's COVID like all of us in business we're like what do you do I don't know and uh, we were coming we were challenged with the fact that nobody knew how to work from home 100% of the time and it started to be very funny you know you'd be on a conference call with somebody a zoom call with somebody and they'd be talking about. The most critical business element under the sun, whether cooking a grilled cheese for one of their kids that are screaming in the background, but I'm hungry because we were all home. It wasn't just we were working from home, our families were home. And so we came up with this revelation that the concept of work life balance is gone. Like COVID killed that. And now it's work life blend or work life integration. And coming out of COVID where so many companies remained remote or are hybrid or just people have different values that that they live their lives to now, that it's just, it's the way we live. And when you look back on it, you know, for me, I've always been a working mom and i You know, if someone said, do you have work-life balance? Of course, I think I I probably would have said yes. But in reality, it's always been work-life integration. And I feel that it's so important for everybody to embrace that and to appreciate that, you know, when you're learning, everything that you're learning is impacting both your professional and your personal life. So it's not just like, oh, great. I learned this new thing about leadership today, listening to this podcast with Jeannie and Melissa that can also apply to your family life as well or your home life and you might not have thought about it that way and vice versa oh i learned how to help my high school aged daughter get through this complex you know geometric problem and help her have a breakthrough way of understanding it you could take that to work and help people get a breakthrough way of understanding whatever business goal you're trying to achieve so it's really this integration where you can learn so much and it can be applied to both places and I don't know, it's just become my like mantra of, you know, sharing this, this like light bulb moment, as I call it with everybody and just inspiring them to be the best they can by just appreciating work-life integration.
0: There really shouldn't be a a delineation anymore. You know, we are all working and we all have our families and it's sort of like, how do we make the best of both situations? And I just love that. It's great learning from each other. Um, So in closing, Jeannie, um, you know, we're rounding out the year. 2024 is right around the corner. Um, What are you most excited about in the world of retail right now going forward?
1: Oh, I'm so interested to see what happens with bops this holiday season. I cannot even tell you. And I know that sounds like such a nerdy answer, but it's just so interesting to see how retail has changed pre covid during covid coming out of covid and now here we are looking into this post covid holiday that's been economically challenged with everything that's happening in the economy and the fact that we all pay way too much for groceries than we ever thought we'd pay in our lives along with everything else that, you know that that's happening from people not being able to find a job to people to the employees owning the whole you know job and salary discussion for so long to it being more backed and balanced now i i know people want to get out they want to be with their family they want to be with their friends they want to shop retail and there's been the big pull push and pull is it gonna win online in store both i I just want to know what where where does bobs end up playing a role like does it become the key uh you know, efficiency and economy, I got to take the dog to a vet. So I'll just like bops my order on the way and dog doesn't have to get out of the car. Or does it become something that goes by the wayside as people get back into stores or just shop online? And that's why I'm curious about. I know that's a silly answer.
0: (laughs) Not at all. It's so it is interesting. It's sort of like the, the, the barometer, I guess, of, of where people are. They, in store people or are they more online? I feel like it's a you can really learn a lot about the consumer by the activity, of, of whether or not they're using Bops or BOP bopis or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, well,
1: and you know I it one of the things that we started doing, one of the the changes that we we brought to the team or that I brought to the team was, Let's not look at the business as siloed pharmacy business, front end business, online business, Bob's business, a drive through pharmacy business. Let's look at it as customer choice and truly you know understanding customer choice I I can tell you a reason that one customer would use every single method of shopping with Rite Aid that we have to offer but I think it's going to come down to which ones do they use and why and how do we most effectively invest in growth moving forward and who knows maybe they'll come by giving everybody
0: an ice cream cone of thrifty (laughs) love it (laughs) all right great well um Jeannie, it was so great chatting with you. I feel like I learned a lot and I know our audience has probably learned a lot as well. Good luck with everything, with your new role, with with your work-life integration, with everything. And I'm hoping, hoping that we'll be able to see each other in person soon.
1: Sounds great. Me too, Melissa. It was great chatting. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please go to womeninretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Women in Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review our show. Lastly, if you're a female retail leader interested in joining our community at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, visit womeninretail.com slash apply. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Women in Retail Talks.